Today, friends, we are starting a brand new series. It's called Unstoppable, the church in action. And what we're going to do is we're going to jump right into the book of Acts, a book of early Christian history. If you want to know what the first 30 years of the Christian church looked like following the death and resurrection of Jesus, go ahead and look at, read the book of Acts. It's amazing story of how the early gathering of Jesus's followers, they were unstoppable. And that message of Christ started in Jerusalem, but it spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in just one generation of people. The book of Acts tells the story of how the church began right after Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to his followers a number of times. And Jesus told them over and over, he says, my father is going to send you the spirit. And so wait in Jerusalem and pray. And when the spirit comes, it's going to be powerful. So you might ask the question, friends, does God still work like that today? Well, you see in Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost, Jesus made good on his promise. The Holy Spirit was poured out. And Peter stood up and preached that Jesus was died, has died, but he had also resurrected from the dead. And people responded to that message and they changed their way that they thought about God. And in one day, the Jesus followers grew from 120 believers to 3,000 believers. Friends, and you think we have parking problems? <laughs> These believers, they immediately began to live the life of following Jesus. They devoted themselves to Bible study with the, with the apostles. They devoted themselves to fellowship, that wonderful Greek word koinonia, doing life together in friendships with the Lord's Supper and sharing meals and in praying together. They had their public gatherings. This, these, of course, these public gatherings were all pre-COVID, of course, way before COVID came along. But they also had their small gatherings. So they had their large gatherings, mostly in the temple area in the early days in Jerusalem. And they had their small gatherings in life groups in homes. And it was such a loving, dynamic, and attractive community. It says at the end of Acts chapter 2 that the Lord was adding to their number every day those who were being saved. And so today, when we're talking about the church being unstoppable, we want to talk about unstoppable compassion. We're going to see a story of compassion and how it led to another step of incredible growth and expansion of the kingdom of God. You might ask the question, like we did before, does God still work today? What is the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit? Remember Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Has God given us the, his Holy Spirit? Has he given us today his life of Christ, his spirit dwelling in us? Has he given us all that just so we would be unnoticed? If we really had God's presence and power in our lives, friends, would we go undetected by the others around us? Well, I'm going to give you an answer, and I'll just quote Kevin McAllister from that Christmas movie, Home Alone. I don't think so. Today, we're going to start in Acts chapter 3. Two guys step out in faith. 
Their names are Peter and John. They were two Galilean fishermen who came to know and follow Jesus Christ. And they are going to show us today a blueprint of what it like of what it is like to be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit and release unstoppable compassion. Let's go to Acts chapter 3 and jump right in. It says this, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. Right now, I want you to pause and notice two things in this verse, right? They were going to a prayer meeting. That was a normal part of their weekly routine. So daily uh, in the temple area, they had a, at the ninth hour or three o'clock in the afternoon, they would have a prayer service and many faithful God-fearing Jews would go to that prayer meeting. The temple area in Jerusalem was big. It, it covered about 36 acres. When Lisa and I visited that in November of 2019, I looked around and I saw, well, there's a mosque over here and a mosque over here. And there's this giant temple area and you can walk around and it's like 400 yards one way and 400 yards another way. It is a big area. It can hold a lot of people. So uh, they were on their way to the church service. It looked like a normal day, but for them and for this man and for thousands of people in that temple area, this day was going to be anything but normal. Their day is never going to be normal when Jesus gets involved. You know, I think about ourselves and living our lives when God gives us opportunities to serve him and to speak well of him during the course of our normal days. Will we, will we see those opportunities, friends? Will we take advantage of the opportunities. Sometimes I think we need to pray and say, Lord, would you please just enlarge my spiritual antenna? Give me more awareness of how you are at work around me and help me to see what opportunities are available so that I can step out and, and say a good word about you. Are we going to do something with the opportunity when it comes our way? You see, God was about to take an ordinary day in the life of Peter and John and this lame man, and he was going to make it extraordinary. So please see that. The, the second thing that I want you to see here is that Peter and John were on their way to the temple for that prayer meeting, and they were going there together. Now, this is what I call the buddy system. In fact, all of the early Christians, they made teamwork a big priority, a big principle in everyday living. You remember the last two weeks we were talking about being roped together. And I asked that question, who are you roped to? Because we are designed by God in Christ to live the Christian life together, roped with other believers, where we can encourage one another as we live the Christian life. Uh, Jesus, when he sent out his followers to preach the good news message in those Galilean towns. He sent them out two by two. Why? Because Jesus wants us to do ministry together. You remember the principle that we quoted in the last two weeks from Ecclesiastes chapter four, that great book of wisdom. Two are better than one. So let's go on to verses two and three. As they approached the temple, a man who was lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple, right? So this man is lame. He was lame from birth. 
People had compassion on him. They knew that he couldn't make a living on his own. So they set him in front of the temple gate called Beautiful to beg for money. Um, don't forget the promise that Jesus made to, to his followers on the night he was betrayed. It said uh, that Jesus promised to his followers was this. He's in, and they had watched Jesus do some amazing things in his life and ministry. Heal the sick and and raise the lame, even raise Lazarus from the dead. Uh, the blind could now see. Jesus had done many miracles in his life, and, and yet he made this promise to his followers. He says, I tell you the truth. This is in John 14. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works. Can you imagine that? Jesus says, anyone who believes in me will not only do the same, the same works I've done, he will do even greater works because I am going to the Father. So Jesus made that promise that his followers would do even greater works than him. Why? Because Jesus was limited to one person in one body in one geographical place at a time. Now he has followers all over the world and every follower filled with his Holy Spirit is empowered to do the kind of ministry Jesus wants them to do. So collectively, we are going to do greater works. Now, so let's go back to Peter and John. They're in the temple courts. They're walking in the temple area and it's pretty big. This beautiful gate that Luke mentions is located in the temple area between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women. It was one of the favorite entrances to the temple area. And so this man who is lame from birth, he is sitting there begging and sitting there in a place where he could be seen by most of the people as they walked into the temple area. Sir, ma'am, he probably said, could you spare a coin for me? You know that phrase, alms for the poor. Friends, it, as I think about that, I, I want you to stop and, and pause and reflect. We, you know, do we see people like that all around us? Uh, we can see people like that around us every day if we're really looking for it. We see people like that on the street corners or outside of a supermarket or perhaps outside of a bank or as you're driving in your car and you come up to an intersection and there's a, a divide in between. Sometimes you see somebody in need and they're usually holding up some kind of sign, says anything helps, God bless. There are a lot of times when those people are around us, friends, but consciously or unconsciously, we really don't see people like that. What, one reason that I think we don't see them is we don't really want to see them. Friends, sometimes it's unpleasant to look at suffering right in the face. Sometimes, and I, and I confess that I've done this, it's a lot easier just to make sure your windows are rolled up, your doors are locked, and you don't even look at them. You just look the other way until the light changes and you can move on your way. Or how about looking out at the rest of the world? How about those dusty cheeks of the Syrian refugee or the swollen bellies of the children who are starving in Sudan or Ethiopia? The homeless people around us. Do, do we really sometimes stop and see them? Do we take the time to do that? When Jesus saw the multitudes of people, what did he do? The Bible says this, that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were weary and scattered. They were like, pe they were like sheep without a shepherd. 
You know, the beauty of Jesus, and, and he's our example. We're, we're to follow his way. We are to follow in the steps of our rabbi Jesus. He, the, the way he works is he really sees people and their needs. And not only does he see them, he is willing to do something to help them out. So here's a spe here is a question for us and for our own spiritual growth. Does your compassion for someone in need, does it ever stir you to do something? Does, does it stir you to action to try to help them in some way, shape, or form? You know, Luke, the writer of Acts, he tells us that this lame man, he was lame from birth. He was placed there, lying at the entrance to the temple area. It wasn't his fault that he couldn't walk. And most people walking into that temple area and on their way to the prayer meeting, uh, they just kept on walking. And maybe Peter and John had seen him before and they just walked right past him day after day. Maybe they even stopped and gave him a coin. It could be even be a few days before, but today was going to be different. Something different, something unexpected and extraordinary was going to happen that afternoon. And so now we're getting ready for one of what I call God's divine appointments, his divine setups. Uh, the trouble is, a lot of times in our lives and even in the life of here in Peter and John, those divine opportunities and appointments, they come in the way of interruptions. Interruptions. Peter and John, they're, they're walking, they're on their way to the temple to pray. They're thinking about the prayer meeting itself. They're thinking about connecting with God in prayer, and they're not really thinking about somebody else who's lying there begging for money. But this guy gets their attention. He interrupts them to ask for money. He's hoping for a coin. And this is going to be his blessed day because Peter and John have something way bigger and way better to offer him. Look what it says in verse 4 or, or verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple area, he asked them for some money. And Peter and John looked at him intently. And Peter said, look at us. And the lame man looked at them eagerly. What was he expecting? Well, obviously he was expecting some money. Peter and John stopped long enough to look at and notice this man. I'm sure they'd seen him before. They probably walked past him many times, but today was going to be different. He mattered to God and that man mattered to them. And God, the Holy Spirit, was prompting Peter and John to do something for him extraordinary that day. So here comes the divine opportunity. Peter says this, filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit of God. Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I will give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Now you remember uh, that, that song that we sang in Sunday school. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. Peter is an apostle of Christ because he sensed that God was ready to miraculously heal this man. He said, man, I have got something better for you today, way better than a coin or two. You want some money? That's good. But I've got something better. Friend, how about the use of your legs? Are you ready for this? So he says, in the name of, or by the authority of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he says, rise up and walk. And guess what? A miracle happened that day. Instantaneously, 
immediately the lame man walks. He says, then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. And he jumped up. He stood on his feet and he began to walk. So first he stands up and, and, and is able to stand up on his legs that were strengthened. Then he began to walk. And then almost to show him that it, show everybody that his legs were completely healed, he said then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple area with them. So he is miraculously instantly healed through the Holy Spirit's power. It wasn't some personal power that Peter had or John had. It was the Holy Spirit. And later on, they're going to make that very clear to the crowd. So the Lord Jesus chose to miraculously heal this lame man who is begging. Max Lucado, he writes it in his book, Outlive Your Life. He writes these words about the lame man walking. He says, after a careful first step or two, then this man skipped a jig, parading and shouting and waving the mat on which he lived. The crowd thickened around the trio. The two apostles laughed as the beggar danced. Can you imagine that scene? The two apostles were laughing and rejoicing as this lame, formerly lame beggar danced. It was a genuine, it was a genuine miracle. Now, one question that you can always ask, and I ask all the time, it says, God, why do you choose to do a miracle in certain occasions and in other occasions, when you, we ask you for a miracle or we ask perhaps for miraculous healing for somebody who's sick or lame or dying or in trouble, sometimes uh, you, you seem to answer this prayer positively and sometimes another prayer doesn't get answered. I can tell you that in this particular case, God and his Holy Spirit had a very good reason for doing this miracle when he did it. You see, God isn't just concerned about the legs of this man. God is concerned about that man's life and his soul and his future. But God is also concerned about that crowd of Jews who were there in the temple area to worship Yahweh, but who hadn't yet been told or didn't yet fully understand that Jesus of Nazareth was their Messiah. And they missed it. They missed him. They didn't recognize him for who he is. And Peter and John had to proclaim that truth to them so that their eyes would be open, the blinders would be taken away, and they could see Jesus for who he really was. So God did this miracle to get the crowd's attention. And now they're ready to hear what Peter and John has to say. So what does Peter do? He, see, he seizes the moment. Peter saw this opportunity and addressed the crowd. Peter has this large audience and he's going to capitalize on the opportunity to share Jesus Christ with them. So Peter took his moment and he seized it. Carpe diem, like it says in Latin, seize the day. Or if you're watching Mrs. Doubtfire, you know, it was carpe dentum, seize the teeth. That was a funny, that was a funny episode. But let's go back to this story. Peter seizing the moment. What about us? What about you and me? When a divine opportunity comes our way, when we have the ability to unleash compassion and to help somebody in need, will we see that as an opportunity to share the good news of Christ with them? To let them know that there's a reason 
that God put his love in our hearts and extend that love to them because he, God wants us to share with them so they will know that there's a God who loves them, that there's a Savior who gave his life for them, and they can have forgiveness and new life in Jesus. They need to know that message. This message is for everyone. It was for the entire crowd there gathered in the temple in Jerusalem. And so Peter took advantage of that opportunity. For Peter and John, this moment came on the heels of this miraculous act of compassion. They helped this man. They completely changed his life. And now the crowd sees this miracle and they want to know the reason behind it. When God gives you the opportunity to speak up for him, friends, it is often right on the heels of a good work of compassion. You went out of your way to help somebody and other people saw it and they're curious why you did the good thing you just did. And in that moment, if you ask God, he will give you the courage. He will give you the right thing to say. The, the, the question is, will you have the courage to step out in faith and share why you're doing what you're doing? God will take that sign and he will use it to point people to Jesus. So Peter stands up and the crowd is all around and they want to know what's going on and what's the reason for all this. And, and Peter is for sure going to stop and say, you want to know who gets the credit for this? It's not us. It's Jesus. So people of Israel, Peter said, what is so surprising about this? Why stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power and godliness? You know, godly humility says, I know when God does something and I know when I do something. And even if I do something by the power of God, it's God's power at work in me doing it. It's not me because I'm such an awesome, great person. Peter speaks in humility. It's not us or our own power, goodness, that made this man, man walk. And then he says, for it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is the God of our ancestors who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. Wow. And, and then he goes on to say, he says, this, this is the same Jesus whom you handed over, whom you rejected before Pontius Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. Verse 14, he says, you rejected the holy righteous one and instead you demanded for the release of a murderer. You remember that day uh, on Good Friday when uh, Pontius Pilate brings out that prisoner Barabbas and, and Jesus, or, or he didn't bring out Barabbas actually, the crowd knew about Barabbas. So Pontius Pilate brings out Jesus and he says, you know, we have a custom during Passover that I can release a prisoner to you as an act of mercy. Do you want me to release Jesus to you? And the crowd instead goes, no, don't release Jesus to us. Release Barabbas. We want Barabbas. The crowd rejected Jesus as their Messiah. They rejected Jesus as the holy servant of God. They asked for a murderer to be released instead. And Peter is not going to let them bypass that fact. In fact, he's going to remind them of their, of their guilt before God. Just a reminder to us as we, as we read this, friends, it's not just the Jews in Jesus' day who were guilty of sin, guilty of rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. You know, each one of us, we have our own brand of sin. The Bible's very clear. All of us have sinned and missed the mark of God's will for our lives. All of us 
collectively. We all need to be forgiven. And as someone said, it was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. But it was only Jesus' love for us that kept him there. So Peter's speaking the truth in love to these people. Sometimes when you speak the truth in love, you may say some things that are harsh. But they're not meant to condemn the person. They're meant to convict the person so that in their guilt, they will be sorry for their sins. They will be repentant. They will turn back from their sin to God and they will ask God to forgive them. That's what Peter was trying to prompt them to do as he was speaking the truth in love to them. He said in verse 15, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are all witnesses of this fact. Peter points out in his message at least two points. First, he says who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. And then he says, and you know what? Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. And you know why we know? Because we were eyewitnesses of that fact. The apostles, Peter and John are saying, we were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus. In fact, they even saw him ascend into heaven. The Jews who are listening now, this is, this is how God's spirit works. They had to be convicted of their sin, of how they rejected Jesus as Messiah. The miracle of why this lame man was walking was because of Jesus' miraculous power that he poured out in his Holy Spirit. And the crowd, they had to be reminded that it was only months earlier they rejected Jesus as Messiah before the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. And they needed to feel that. They needed to feel the guilt. They needed to realize that they were on the wrong side of God and his plans for them. And they needed to turn around and repent. They, they needed to understand that if they didn't turn around in repentance, they were going to be under God's wrath for turning their backs on Jesus the Messiah. And so now Peter challenges the crowd. And he says, oh, because that's what a good preacher does. He doesn't just leave you in your guilt and your sin. He doesn't say you're a sinner and you need a savior. Okay, bye. Have a nice day. No, he says, you're a sinner, but Jesus is a great savior. And if you will turn to him in faith, he will save you from your sins. That's what Peter says to them. He says in verse 19, now turn from your sins and turn to God so that you can be cleansed of your sins. Peter didn't tell him to go say 10 our fathers and walk away. He didn't say go say five or 10 Hail Marys. He didn't tell them to go fast and to wear sackcloth in mourning. He didn't tell them to go write a big check to some local charity or a local church. What did Peter say they needed to do? The most important thing they needed to do to get right with God. He said, turn from your sins and turn back to God. And when you do that, God's promises will bring you spiritual refreshment. Look what Peter says in verse 20. He says, if you repent of your sins and turn back to God, then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. And he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. They could still get right with God if they would turn around and repent. Turning back to God may sound easy. That, you know, somebody says, well, yeah, repentance is easy. All you have to do is, you know, turn around and believe in Jesus. But there is more to repentance than that. Repentance also means that you turn away from your old bad habits. 
that you turn away from your old ungodly lifestyle. You turn away from your secular unbelieving thinking about God and Jesus. And you know, friends, it's hard to break old habits. It is hard to give up certain sins and addictions. Anybody who's walked as a, as a Christ follower for more than six months totally understands that. But if you keep your eyes on Jesus, it's a lot easier. If you, focuses on, if you focus on Jesus' promise to empower you through the Holy Spirit, you're going to be able to say no to ungodly ways of life, and you're going to be able to say yes to living a separate, godly, God-honoring life to honor Jesus Christ. Peter concludes this message in verse 26. He says, God sent his servant Jesus who came to you to bless you. How did Jesus bless you? He says, by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. You know, you cannot have a right relationship with God, friends, unless you do one thing first. You have to acknowledge that you have sinned. You have to admit to God that you've said and done some things that are displeasing to God and against his will. You've gone your own way and you were independent. You were rebellious against God's authority in your life. And then after you do that, you put your faith and your trust in Jesus. And if you're willing to do that, God says he will forgive you. He will give you a clean slate with God. And here's the key for this story in Acts chapter 3. What Jesus did physically for the crippled legs of that man lying there lame, Jesus will also do spiritually for your souls. That sin-sick soul that is, that is lost and without hope and without God, you can find new hope in life in Jesus Christ. You can be brand new. You can be forgiven and whole. You can be given a clean slate and a fresh start. As Peter said, times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord and he will again send you Jesus, your promised and anointed Messiah. So Peter, what I love about him and John is they're saying, you guys, you rejected Jesus, but guess what? It's not too late. You can change your mind. You can turn back to God in faith. And it's possible. It was possible for them in the temple area 2,000 years ago. And friend, it is possible for you to still do that today. You look at these two committed Christ followers. They, give, they take an honest look at this man in need. And with God's leading by his spirit, they give him a miraculous helping hand. And that miracle, friends, opened the door for a spirit-filled conversation with a large crowd of people talking about God and Jesus and the possibility of forgiveness and new life. I'd love to ask Peter. I'd love to ask Peter this question. Maybe when we get to heaven, I'll get to talk to him about it. It says, hey, Peter, when you reach down, you know, when you said silver and gold, I, I don't have any money to give to you, but what I do have, would you please take it? When you reach down to take that man's hand, did you know what was going to happen? Did you know he was going to miraculously jump up and be healed and praise God? John, when Peter opened his mouth and said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give I you. Were you thinking in your heart, God, you're about to do a great miracle? Or was there a part of you that were thinking, oh no, Peter, you opened your big mouth again and now we're going to be in trouble. 
You see, Peter used to just step out on his own and he got in trouble for it. And John was one of his best friends. He was eyewitness to all of Peter's foot and mouth disease. But now Peter's being led by the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's using committed Christ followers like Peter and John to change the world and do miracles and open up an audience to share the good news of Christ. So here's our action points for today. Think about, okay, here's the story of Peter and John. They go into the temple, they see a lame man. They're prompted by the Holy Spirit to heal him miraculously. Huge crowd forms. Peter preaches the gospel to them and many thousands of people come to believe in Jesus as Messiah. Peter and John, they gave more than money. They offered new life in Jesus Christ. Think about Peter and John. Now think about yourself and your own life, friend. What resources has God given you? What resources do you have that you could give to help someone in need? You know, maybe you have education and maybe you can help somebody with tutoring. Maybe you have a car and you could give a ride to somebody in need. Maybe you have time and you're able to give your time just to help somebody. Maybe it's just the time to stop and have a caring conversation and to be able to pray for someone. Maybe it's giving them some of your money or maybe it's giving them some food from your pantry, maybe some clothing from your closet. But friends, the greatest gift that you can give to somebody is to share with them the good news about Jesus Christ. Because the gospel is the power of God to save everyone who believes. And everyone needs to believe and follow Jesus. So, question friends, what are you doing as you look for your divine opportunities? As they come your way, are you aware that those opportunities are there among you, beside you, in front of you? surrounding you? Are you looking for those divine opportunities? Is your spiritual antenna set and sensitive and ready to go? And as you're looking for divine opportunities, are you ready to unleash compassion? And then as you extend compassion, friends, are you ready to use that opportunity for an open door to share the good news message about Jesus? I hope you are, friends. The world changed in the first century because committed Christ followers like Peter and John had unstoppable compassion. Friends, if we can have that unstoppable compassion in our lives today, as we are filled by the Holy Spirit, the world is going to be changed. You're going to be blessed and you're going to be a blessing to all of those around you. Are you ready to be that? Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. thinking about Peter and John, Lord, and walking into the temple area and how they noticed that lame man that was sitting there begging. Lord, I, I, it reminds me of a name that Hagar gave you in the Bible, in the book of Genesis. She called you El Roy, the God who sees me. Lord, thank you for seeing us in our need. Thank you for sending Jesus to rescue us and to be our savior. And Lord, we believe that as your followers now, you've given us your eyes to be able to see also. And so Father, today, help us, help me to, see, to 
be able to truly see other people around us, to see them as created in your image, with all their hurts, with all their desires and their longings and their needs. Open my eyes so I would be willing to open my arms to offer whatever help and encouragement that I have to give them. And friends, as we're praying this, to be able to, to unleash unstoppable compassion. Lord, I, I'm also reminded of, the, of that person who is yet to cross the line of faith, who's yet to personally invite you to come into their lives and to be their forgiver and their leader. And so while we're praying, if you have never yet committed your life to following Jesus, if you're ready to say yes to following him today, then I invite you to pray this prayer with me right now. Just praying as a conversation with God. So just pray these words. Lord Jesus, today I'm coming to you in faith. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving me enough to die for my sins on that cross. And I believe that you rose again from the dead. Today, I invite you, Lord Jesus, to come into my life. Forgive me, cleanse me, and fill me, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to live a life from, from today on into the future. Help me to live a life that is honoring to you. And Lord, for all of us, we pray that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, help us to be like your servants, Peter and John. Help us to see opportunities. Help us to extend compassion. Help us to get an opportunity to be able to share your good news with people outside your family. Lord, grant us the unspeakable privilege of introducing them to you so they can have eternal life. And it's in Jesus' name that we lift up these prayers to you right now. And all of God's people agreed together and said, Amen. Amen. Friends, I just want to remind you that if you prayed that prayer to invite Jesus into your heart and you're ready to follow him, we have some resources for you. Would you please call us at the church office, 823-8242 in the 707 area code. Uh, email us at info at sebchristian.com. Let us know of the decision you made. If you're on Facebook Live with us right now, just put something in the chat. Say, I prayed that prayer. And we will contact you. We'll give you some resources to help you keep on growing in your Christian life. God bless you.